Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Joining us on today's performance people are a record-breaking England rugby captain and one of the world's leading classical singers. Chris Robshaw led his country more times than any other player in the professional era winning a Six Nations Grand Slam along the way. Joining Chris is his wife, the Brits-nominated Camilla Kerslake, and England's best-selling soprano. These two performance people know a thing or two about executing under the spotlight. So I always say the World Cup is the highest and lowest point of my, my international career. And Camilla arranged for me and my best friends to go to a house in the New Forest, turn our phones off, no TVs, and we, we ate and drunk until we couldn't remember. They really squeeze it out of you, you know, in the music industry. And I had to write a formal letter of complaint to have a day off. I definitely sort of got to my mid-twenties and I was like, well, this is shit. I'm, this, I'm not enjoying my life. It's meant to be a fairy tale. This needs to stop. Let's start with this. We've all just sat down having put the children to bed, respective children, your child and our child. Our other child, we've actually, we've actually got with Siphoned our, off to your mother. Yeah, we siphoned off to her Gigi this evening. But the younger one, who's two, is in the house and upstairs. So I bet like you, you've got somewhere around a, a baby monitor waiting to sound off. Um, but if it was in our house, what now happens is we'd sort of take a moment to go, oh, wonderful, right, we've got some time adult grown-up time and probably think about what we're going to watch on Netflix um, and go and sit down and watch that. And within 10 minutes, Ben would be asleep and I'd be getting grumpy because he's falling asleep (laughs) and I'd finish the rest of that episode on my own. And then we'd both go to bed, having not spoken about anything really um, and just sort of made our way through the day, survived. Might have had something to eat before going to sleep. Well, maybe. (laughs) Missed that bit. Um, So what what does a typical evening look like in in the Kerslake Robshaw household? Not dissimilar. I mean, yeah, very similar, like, to be honest. Not yeah. even at all. I thought when he retired that I would get a bit more Chris time in the evenings. And I do, like, somewhat mm. in that he's not asleep by half past seven every night. But uh, 
I actually, the last few nights you've you've been out by like, mm. our son's going through one of those developmental leaps. So he would usually wake up at about sort of <laughs> 6, 37, which is like a luxury and a lion. But recently he's been waking up at like five, half five. Mm. And it's just, we are being drained. And at the same time, I know that we're really lucky because he's an excellent sleeper, but it just really like highlights mm. how important it is. But also we eat really early because we like to eat with him. Because... I don't know about you guys, but if we don't eat dinner with him, he just eats snacks. You know, he doesn't want actual food. No, that'll change. So, I mean, you'll move on from that. I will. <laughs> oh, good. Oh. But again, yeah, for, for whatever reason, we just fall asleep on the sofa. Like yeah. you get Netflix on and yeah, when you've got to kind of be home with, with your child, you can't really go out too far anyway. And look, being, being sports people and musicians, we weren't really big ravers anyway, uh, as you could probably imagine. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it seems to be early and earlier bedtime. On the subject of sleep, right? Both of you must, both of you, Chris, you definitely will have needed it in the past, right? An athlete needs it more than any other human being, I think, on the planet. But Camilla, you'll need it too for your voice and recovery and all those things that come into play where that's, where that's in regard. Uh, how important, I mean, now that you don't have as much as you once did of sleep, how much do you now appreciate a good night's sleep? Because for me, with young children, and I don't think I've had a proper night's sleep for the last eight years, I mean, with young children, you really do remember those days with sort of rose-tinted but fond spectacles about what sleep really did used to look like. Yeah, I think so. And I, look, I think when I played as well, I was very, very diligent with it as well. I would always want kind of eight to ten hours a night. I'd want to be in bed at 10 o'clock and obviously, depending on when we got up, half six, seven-ish, um, I'd want that sleep. And you think it's kind of, and if you didn't sleep the whole way through, you'd be a bit grumpy and all that kind of stuff. And and now, like you said, you just, you take what you can. And it doesn't really bother you if they, if your kid's up at five, you just get up and get on with it. Whereas when I played, I would, would have kind of thrown my toys out and all that kind of stuff. But now you just have to, have to deal with things, I think. And, and I was in a different position because a lot of my teammates had kids when they played. And I could never quite understand, obviously, I know Ben's still sailing and how hard that would be to wake up kind of numerous times throughout the night uh, and then go play a game or go to training because you'd always see those guys who came into training with kind of the deep kind of bags under their eyes and just sitting in the corner quietly trying to have a nap on the sofa. Um, but yeah, it was a, a different world. It's interesting though. There's a really famous soprano called Louise Alder. She's singing at Glyndebourne right now. And I, I can't, I, I don't know how old her child is, but definitely sort of not over six months. And um, she said her husband, I think, is a very famous conductor, so they're apart a lot. And she was solo parenting for that for that that day. And she said she woke up four times during the night, but she sung her best best version of that role she's ever done in her life. Wow. So I remember someone said someone said to me, our publicist actually, he has three children, and I remember talking to him about it, but before we'd had a child, and I was like, what? How do you how do you survive with three children? Like they must be you know, draining you of your energy and everything all the time. And he looked at me, happy but exhausted, and went, you just sort of adapt. And I think that's the best uh, mm. way I've ever heard it put. You just adapt mm. because there's no alternative. Yeah, mm. I definitely can't claim to be the expert in our household on well, this Well, no, you front, are but, the expert at sleeping. But, that but, is definitely, uh, definitely true. Sleeping, but, <laughs> but it's true, though, isn't it? If you've had a really tough night, you haven't had much sleep, you do kind of, you just have to go into auto really and and maybe in some ways that does 
Do you know what? Maybe what you will, not, yeah, not, maybe what you you're also not thinking do, about it too much. Exactly. You prioritize the most important things in your day that you need to then get done because you know there's only so much in the tank. I also, I also think with like with stuff like hangovers as well. When you're hungover now with a child, you just have to deal with it. Whereas before children, you would spend a day on the sofa, get a pizza, feel horrible, whatever. <laughs> but now you just have to. You have to get on with things, don't you? Straight up and out. <laughs> Straight, but I, I used and you to, feel better, I think. I used to be... We, I think one of the reasons we um, have stood the test of time, as it were, is because we're both so career-focused and both of our careers are such high pressure. Um, you know, if I, if I was doing the NFL or something, for example, I mean, one time they told me between the UK and America, it was watched by something like 17 million people. And, you know, they always get you to sing that national anthem like a cappella. So it's literally just you with nothing and and especially the american one they're all silent they don't sing along so it's literally just you mm. there's no background noise there's no nothing and i remember when i used to do that job i would live so clean for you know there's normally what four games and a mm. couple of times i've done all october, of them yeah. so just all of october i wouldn't go out i wouldn't do anything i'd sleep so well i wouldn't eat anything that would give me acid reflux and like <laughs> The first time I did the baseball, my son was, I think, five weeks old. Mm. I was still breastfeeding. Like, my support muscles were in no shape to be singing in front of that many people. But we just got up and I got on with it. And do you know what? It wasn't my best performance, but it was fine. Mm. And it's just completely changed my mindset. I'm just, I feel like before I was a bit precious and a bit spoiled. And I think we were almost spoiled mm -hmm. by each other because I gave him so much leeway to be like, a cranky, cranky bastard in bed by nine. Can you imagine being 22 and being in bed at 9.45 every single night because your boyfriend that you'd been only seeing for a couple of months would get all cross if he didn't get like 10 hours sleep. But yeah, so I think we were both we like enabled each other's fussiness mm. as it were. And now there's just, yeah, we just can't do it. So like, obviously we still help each other out where we can, but I think we've just grown up a bit, haven't we? Hmm. but chris with regards to camilla's voice is it like having to share your other half with then another thing as well which is this voice because that must need so much of its own sort of attention feeding sort of treating it in a particular way training it massaging it making sure that it's as brilliant as it possibly can be i mean how, what do you sacrifice in a partnership to actually have to be or for camilla to be able to do what she does for for a career yeah i think it's really interesting because when you speak to sports people and you say kind of the day before a game or whatever you would never go out go out for a run or be on your feet or something like that all day when you say in terms of singing the music that you train a couple of hours a day you like you said you do kind of osteo stuff your voice your neck your um your jawline and stuff like that and the kind of night before stuff you would never go to a i know a big dinner in town where there's loud music and you have to shout and all that kind of stuff because you put extra strain in your voice and it's when you think about all this stuff it makes a lot of sense to a lot of people but until you like i said go out with a singer and understand their rituals and their habits and their training methods um it was just getting used to it because like like you guys said, I'd been through so many different training regimes and all that stuff. So I knew a lot about my body and it was just doing it in a different area, but with the same amount of respect. Yeah, how, in, how insane a practice regime do you have, Camilla? Um, huh. Well, sometimes it can be um, quite tough. At the moment, I'm 
I'm singing Peter Grimes um, at the English National Opera. So we've just started production rehearsals, which is when you sort of take the music off the page and, and onto stage. And um, you can be doing a rehearsal in the morning, a rehearsal in the afternoon, and then go straight to the theatre and do the show. So, you know, it's another thing about being precious. You just mm -hmm. can't be precious. You know, you, you have to... I genuinely believe that being an opera singer is is not in any way dissimilar to being an athlete, especially at the highest level. You know, as you go up, it gets more. You know, I sing for at least two hours every day. Um, you know, I do a lot of yoga. I I do like weights and everything else that you know people do if they you know want to remain a certain a certain shape. But um, you know, on top of that, you know, I wouldn't. Oh God, I wouldn't dream of going even for dinner. I would. I just wouldn't go out the night before a show. I wouldn't go out mm. three nights before a show if it was a big show. It's it's like a real engine, and it's sort of from like the groin up, um, and it all works. And if one tiny thing is is out of sync, you're just not going to produce the best sound you can. And when when you think about opera, it's it's quite extraordinary what you're asking your body to do. You know, you're you're asking your body your uh, vocal folds are the same size as the cuticle of your nail, and you're asking vocal folds to produce a sound louder than most speakers can make to project across a 60-piece orchestra and a, in Peter Grimes, for example, a 65-piece choir. That's 125 people you have to be louder than. Um, and, you know, and it's, it's all about direction and focus. And, you know, we have the same lung capacities as sort of swimmers and pro athletes and everything. Mm. And it, it really, it, I think, like I think, I, I think that's why it, it works so well. You know, and September is always a really busy time, and then it sort of sort of peters off, and I can relax a bit and socialize a bit more. But uh, I guess it's just like you, you know, when you have like a big competition or something mm. on. But then in the summer, you know, we'd have it large and just like eat and drink and party and live our best lives. So, but I think it's just you know any job like ours that lots and lots of people want to do. You just have to know that there's a lot that you have to sacrifice to do it. Um, but that I think, well, we would all agree or we wouldn't be doing it, that mm. it is definitely, definitely worth it. How long, how long will you build up to a, to a particular opera? How, how long will that preparation take? It depends on the role. Um, I have a particular voice type that's quite sort of meaty and large, which belies my size really, but I also have a really, like a very, very high voice. I can sing the highest note ever written. So, um, it sort of depends, you know, I could spend 20 years preparing a role like, say, Tosca, which is Puccini's Tosca, because that's a huge, 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 huge thing. Um, mm. I can't tell you guys about it yet because it's not been confirmed, but there's a role I've been working on for about <laughs> two years, mm. which I'm I'm hoping oh. to, to premiere um, next year. Yeah, so I was, a, I was a crossover singer, a classical crossover singer, which doesn't require much training at all. You just have to sound decent and look pretty um but about five years ago i decided to rigorously train operatically it um classical music i think it's it's more than 90 percent privately educated so i was the sort of girl from a comprehensive school who you know lived for a few years on a council estate who was sort of decided that you know i was going to work mm. in my 20s and save up and pay for it myself and um it, it really is i i get like, like any like any kind of physical thing you know you start you know, you take one step and then from there you, you know, if you have a talent, it's all about nurturing it and putting in all the work and all the sacrifices and thousands and thousands of hours of training. And, you know, then if you're lucky and if you're good enough and if the wind's behind you, you know, you end up singing for the English National Opera at the Coliseum, you know, and that's, 
that's the goal and it's mm. it's um definitely it's been a, a voyage of a voyage of love but i'm very very pleased to sort of have ended up here mm. <laughs> it's been an amazing voyage by all sentence, accounts <laughs> done brilliantly no no it was a really good explanation but i want to ask you one thing neither of us can sing ben can't sing he can't hold a note neither can i but I want to ask you, if we had 10,000 hours of practice and training as per the Malcolm Gladwell School of Thought, and we had 10,000 hours in our yeah. tank, would we then be able to sing? Okay, so um, can you, could you sing something like Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star on pitch? Well, I don't even go, go, know what I think pitch you is because my Georgie. tone why, and pitch why, why is Why don't you have a crack at it? No, I can't. I can't bring myself to sing. <laughs> As long as you have a, a basic idea of pitch, so you know you go twinkle, twinkle instead of like twinkle, twinkle. Lit. Do you know what I mean? No, I'm that. I'm the latter. I'm the latter. Uh, then no. But I think <laughs> <laughs> lessons can. Yeah, I don't think if I had fifty thousand no, no. hours, I'd ever be able to sing it. I think um... a, a bit of it is innate. A bit of it is um, circumstantial. So you know. If, if, you know, you could grow up in a really musical household, but if you don't have the um, structures, you, you know, you probably won't ever be able to do it, you know. But like a ballerina, for, being an opera singer, I think is probably like a ballerina, you know, they're, they're, they're born they're, and then they're made. You know, they have this natural thing that they could possibly do and then they train and train and train and train and train until they can do it. And I think opera's the same. But I genuinely, genuinely believe if you can speak, you can sing. So lessons will take you from if you're well, I can, I can average, do that. they can make I can you speak. good. They're good, they can make you great. Well, there you go. <laughs> so you would be one of the people who's average who could maybe be good. I, well, I need to try harder is the motto. And your um, dad your dad's got some serious rhythm. So actually <laughs> I don't think you're the right person to comment on whether dad's gone through them or not. I don't know if that comes from an oracle <laughs> perspective. Um, I did read, I did read somewhere when, when looking up about, you know, singing and classical singing and, and, and everything that's sort of connected to it. Somebody said, I don't know if this is right or not, that the voice is, um, let's get this right. How am I going to say it? Um, the fact that it's connected to the body's biological clock and needs warming up the same time every day, what happens when you are in a time zone change scenario? Does travel completely cock everything up for an opera singer, for a classically trained singer? Do you know what? I, there are definitely times when I do sound better. So I think they say, they say, the best time to, to sing or do anything physical is around 12 p.m. Um, but then, like, when I'm, when I'm exercising, I always feel like I have my best runs, for example. I can always go the furthest or the fastest at about 3 p.m. So if I was, like, booking an audition, I would always try and get sort of one of the, the sort of 11 to sort of one-ish type slots, and no one else wants them, so it's great. I always get them. But I would, the travel thing, it's more the airplane. It's more because there's no humidity. They like suck all the air out of the cabin. Yeah. So, you know, your cords need like moisture to, to, to be healthy. So you're, you're either drinking the whole time trying to rehydrate. I have those Evian face mists and I'm like, um, <laughs> or it's, the, wor it's, the worst is when we go on holiday, summer hot and Camilla hates having an AC on for I her voice. Have, I won't have the AC. So I'm there sweating to sleep at night 
I mean, Camilla's just, yeah. Do it for love. <laughs> and money, because it's in his best yeah, interest, what... let's be honest. You, you could try a separate room, Chris. You know, get Luke, Camilla and the baby together. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, gladly. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That's gladly, your ploy. like a walrus. <laughs> but you mentioned it before, and it's true. Like, you have a real common theme, the two of you. It's, it's you know, it's... It is this rigor, this discipline, this, you know, this real pursuit of greatness in your own individual areas. I mean, Chris, the, the sort of the routine, the regimen, the, all of that that comes with being a professional athlete. Do you miss that bit? Do you miss not having that in your life anymore? It's be, it was such a major part of your world. Do, do, have you got that back yet in any formal way? Yeah, I, I do really miss it, actually, um, for 18 years, well, since school. Um, my Monday was this, my Tuesday was this, my Wednesday day off, Thursday, Friday, all were exactly the same, except you might have the odd corporate dinner or charity event or appearance or something like that. But generally, that was how it went for 30-odd weeks of the year. Um, and it changed a little bit in pre-season, but it was always kind of the same. And Nat, I retired now over a year ago. And that's been the biggest struggle because I bounce around a little bit. I do a little bit of TV work. I do a bit with Gallagher Insurance, a bit of a wine investment company, and then some ambassadorial stuff. But it's kind of one week I might go to the insurance on a Monday, then I might do the wine on a Wednesday because I've got other things to work in that week as well. Whereas the following week, it might be completely different. Um, and then trying to fit in, obviously, Camilla's schedule, the baby's schedule as well. It's It's been really hard and... I always found like myself mentally trying to work out what's going on. I have to write everything down. I've got, a, we've got a written calendar. I've got a Google calendar. Um, and that for me, I think since retiring has been the hardest thing to manage. Let, and, that, let that be a warning to you. Well, don't retire. Yeah. <laughs> um, don't retire. The, uh, I mean, the that's the other thing. Yeah. Keep on going. Yeah. But the but I, I can understand that. So that you know, when you've got a structure and you know what you're doing day in, day out, and you just gotta get on to do that. And then suddenly everything's changing around a lot. That must be that must be tough. Well you get but freedom, you don't you? But freedom can be difficult because yeah. you're not necessarily always sure what to do with it and how to prioritize it when you haven't got I guess, Chris, you've always in this in this rugby world that you would have been living in, you've always got other people telling you what to do as well. You've got that sort of that other piece, haven't you, of, of a sort of a, a wider team around you. And, and actually, even though you're captain and you're leading in that regard, you've got other people around the edges of that formalising your routine. Yeah, very much so. And I think, I think actually the biggest struggle is, is trying to motivate yourself to go to the gym. Um, for me, because we've always trained with, We'd have groups of two or three of us, teammates training, similar position, so you're kind of similar strengths. You'd have one coach who would tell you basically what you're doing today. He would, They would help you kind of lift the weights up, push yourself as hard as possible, then go off and do something else. Whereas now I kind of go to the gym, I'm on half an hour on a cross trainer, doing some bicep curls, not really sure what to do. Uh, even though I've done it for 20 odd years, <laughs> it's having that motivation as well. But I think being... Being a captain and all that kind of stuff, I'm, I'm pretty. I like to be in control of stuff, so I'm, I'm quite organised uh, with with my diary, with like bits and bobs and structures of things. Even it annoys Camilla so much that I'm trying to find out and organise her diary and her life. But you definitely miss going to the airport and everything's been done for you. Your managers 
sorted the coach out, you're on the plane, your bag's been taken, all that kind of stuff. It's um, gets a very nice way of life. And then you, you have to remember how to do things yourself again. I think that happened that happened to both of us really because I got I got a record deal when I was 19 and I sort of basically moved right out of uni to oh the baby monitor's gone monitor, there we yeah. go but so uh, yeah so I moved right out of uni <laughs> to having management and agent like every second of my day scheduled I would have my schedules like sort of 6 months in advance and you know they really squeeze it out of you you know in the music industry they very much don't give you time to rest and everything um i think that's why they they, they like getting you so young you know before you have any real commitments or anything when mm. you can actually cope with the, the amount mm. you know i think one time i worked six months straight sort of 12 to 18 hour days every day and i had to write a formal letter of complaint to have a day off um it's not like that now i definitely sort of got to my mid-20s and i was like well this is shit I'm this I'm not enjoying my life that's meant to be a fairy tale this needs to stop but um I remember trying to explain to Chris once I'd sort of put a stop to that and then I was sort of more of a freelancer I because he was so scheduled and everything and he always wanted to know where I was what I was doing you know and I, and I had to say to him I was like listen the amount of headspace he's sorting out the monitor the amount of headspace it takes just to plan my week you know like I could get a call on Wednesday telling me that I had to go sing in Venice on Friday morning and then I'd have to spend all day Thursday cancel all my plans and you know pull an outfit because of course you're singing for someone really wealthy who you have to look amazing and there's going to be a press call so it has to be designer and all that kind of stuff and I don't think it was until he became freelance himself that he realized why I used to get so annoyed when he would ask me where I was going to be at a certain time and all that kind of thing. Because now, you know, it's it's different now because obviously we have the baby. So we really do have to sort of, someone has to pick him up. We can't just leave him there. But um, it's frowned upon. But uh, yeah, I think now he definitely gets it. And he, he did turn to me, I think, I think when he'd been doing it for about a month or two, because he kept saying, oh, I just need to get used to it. I just need to get used to it. Then things will calm down. You know, that very classic, I just need to get to the end of this week and then things will calm down. And everyone says that to themselves from like 22 when they start like properly working to like 65 when they retire. And I was like, Chris, this is just your life now. This buckle up. This is what it is to be a freelancer. It's true, isn't it? I think also like a mum... Because a mum is sort of forever multitasking, right? Forever juggling things this way, that way, every other way, up, down, all over the place. And I mean, I remember, I remember you, you saying to me, why are you getting so stressed about something to do with the house or whatever? And I went, Just right, anything. I'm going to write you a bloody list of all the things I have to do that basically are focused around the house. And you can tell me whether you think I'm overreacting or not. And Honestly, I gave him this list and it was hilarious. He, look at, he looked at it and <laughs> forgot to think before he opened his mouth and said, I need to hire someone to do this. And I was like, there, in that moment, right there, remember I this moment that, that. You, you did. No, I remember I think that I said you, you were said that and let's park this moment and now acknowledge me for the multitask that I am. Thank you very much indeed. So we had that kind of conversation. So... I think that does happen. Unless you're in somebody else's shoes, you can't always see it as clearly. And I guess that is what happens. You know, you stop a professional rugby career and you're into something else where you're having to juggle everything and, it, and you do suddenly appreciate, you know, what other people are, are confronted with in their, their lives too, right? You've been out of the room, Chris. We've been gossiping about this for a while. Yeah. 
Oh, I've just been. I know. I actually, uh, my, <laughs> one of my most admirations is the way Camilla just can go to the gym on her own and get on with things. And like I said, to to have structure, schedule, people are telling you what to do. Uh, of course, but yeah, of course. Self motivation is very, very, very hard, and mm. I've been doing it since I was about fourteen. Yeah, which is which is amazing. Because um, of course we are motivated and we push ourselves when we play and all that kind of stuff. But you still have other people kind of pushing you yeah, along you the way, and you, yeah. and it, and it helps massively. And I, I kind of miss my six week structure. I might I might ask someone to write one up for me, just a, <laughs> a list over six weeks, and that can organise myself. I went I went down to see Ben. He very kindly took me on his boat. Put oh, in yes. the diary. I stayed in a very glamorous place in Plymouth. Yeah, that was... Uh, I got a nice parking ticket as well. I'll send you the invoice, man. <laughs> yeah, well, it was it, it was work, Chris, like, you know, the Masters and... Yeah, yeah exactly. It's all work, exactly. you know, one way or another. How did Chris fare on your seafaring adventures? He was bloody good. Yeah, we had a great time. Was yeah, it? we're on the foiling F50, turning okay. around Plymouth Heart Sound. Okay. Uh, sun was out. Yeah, we had a good day, didn't we? Yeah, it was great. I, I did think I was going to fall overboard at one point. I grazed my knee on that stuff, but it was, uh, except for that, it was brilliant. I mean, the experience, and like, I love, I would, I would, I would get very actual seasick. I, I actually don't really like sailing unless I'm on a nice kind of cruise boat in the kind of Caribbean. But I love Gin seeing people at the top of the game witnessing them. Yeah, exactly. No, but like seeing them in their element and having that experience of the elite level and, seeing what makes those people tick as well. And to witness that and to be on one of those boats, which is flying above the water, I still don't understand how they do it. And then the ability to turn and the teamwork and how it's milliseconds of like fine, fine things that kind of make the difference over a season. And it's these kind of things when you see other elite athletes, it, it, it baffles me. Even if I don't have the deepest knowledge of the sport, whatever the sport is, whatever the industry is, I've got a huge ad- admiration for it, for sure. And similar to Camilla, we've, um, she's taken me to the ballet once or twice. And look, I don't understand the ballet at all, to be honest. But what the, them as athletes can do is absolutely incredible. Mm. I mean, being able to lift someone up or even stand on your toes. I mean, I can barely touch my toes. So it's um, a little bit different for me. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? But you've got an appreciation of elite sport at the highest level, basically. Um, can we talk a bit about captaincy and leadership and the things that you would have learnt um, as England captain, as Quinn's captain, the things that you would have picked up along the way that you now are able to apply to business? And like you've said, you've got a smattering of interest there. So how you're able to actually pull those learnings and, and, and take them into your next chapter. Have you, have you found that those experiences, good or bad, and I know there were both because there always are, um, have, have really helped subsequently? Yeah, I have. And look, we've been lucky. We've had um, some brilliant people. I know Ben's come and spoke to us with England as well. Uh, we some, had some brilliant leaders from many different kind of fields as well. So you always try and pick up ideas from them. And I think when I was a young captain, I was very different from when I was an old, older captain and when you're probably more confident. I think when I was a young captain, my you probably weren't self-sufficient. Your ego was a little bit fragile. You thought you had to do everything yourself. And I was very much kind of stick orientated. So everything was anyone was late, any punishment, any penalties. It was all kind of fitness orientated. And it was my way of kind of putting a mark on the team. And then I had a break from captain in the side. And I captained them again in my early 30s. Where I found my captaincy then was very much more about 
a bit more empathy and understanding people a bit more and knowing that... Like mentoring. Yeah, and more the mentality of people and saying that X, Y and Z reacts this way and you might need to have a quiet word with him. And this guy over here, you might need to shout at him and tell him what you really think. Or even if you're having hard conversations, it's doing it in the right way. Rather than when I was younger, I probably just would have been a bit more head on with things. Or maybe even done it in front of a group, which people don't always react well to. And as you got a bit older, you kind of understand that because you've been through it a little bit more. You, Like you said, you've had some brilliant highs and you've had some tough lows as well. And you've, you've gained a little bit of knowledge. But I think the biggest difference is is reaching out to people as well. Uh, when I when I suffer kind of World Cup stuff, and I learned a lot from a lot of people who had been there and done it before, previous international captains, stuff like that, who had actually had those tough moments and knew what it was like to kind of be written in the front and back of papers. Um, so they were really good because my, my general friends were just kind of like, you'll be okay, things are okay, but they didn't really understand what that kind of pressure's like. Um, so listening to people like that, and now if there's young guys going through stuff, there's guys who have just missed out on World Cup selection, it's reaching out to them because I've been in that boat. And then look, at a time when I was younger, I didn't always deal with things in the right way. And Camilla, when I, um, I, I held a lot of it in, whereas I think now if I was to go through something like that, I'd be a lot more open to stuff, whether that be talking to people, uh, sharing a bit more, uh, would definitely be key factors. He is, honestly, as well, and I think from all of that, because people who know Chris, like a lot of people, actually, like a lot of sportsmen at the top of their game, he's like he's very quiet and he's um he's quite introverted and sort of, you know, he'll come into a situation and, you know, a lot of the time he won't talk or just sort of, like, assess what's going on and all that kind of thing before he feels comfortable. But I trust his judgment on people just so, so much. I remember I, I was going through something with someone that I was sort of working with um a few years ago and it was really serious and there was like emotions were high and there was a lot of money involved and you know I was just like oh I'm just gonna go and be like oh you how dare you that kind of thing and Chris just looked at me and and he said what outcome do you want what is what is the outcome that you want from this communication and I know that it seems really obvious, but when you're, I think I was like 26, 27, you know, like when you're like young and hot-headed and all that. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com kind of stuff you just don't really think like that you just think oh I feel this way 
And Chris is a few yeah. years older than me. I mean, you would have probably been like, what, about 30 at that point, 29, 30. And it was the first time anyone had ever said that to me. Like every every situation you go into, even if it's a bit pinchy and awkward and uncomfortable, you go into it wanting a resolution. Mm. And the best way to, to go into these things, to think about what resolution it is that you want, and then the best way to, to, to get it. And not in a manipulative way, but just in a, you know, having a conversation where you sort of weigh up the pros and cons and put your bit of, uh, bit out to them so they understand and can walk in your shoes is probably a lot mm. going to resolve things a lot quicker than just shouting and, and being aggressive and stuff. I captained Harlequins at the age of 23, uh, England at 25. So I was, I was very, I was a young man. I was an inexperienced guy. And there was things which I really struggled with initially, like having hard conversations with people, especially your friends where you'd have to sit them down and basically say, you let us down, why weren't you good enough? All that kind of stuff. And and you know that then they're going around the corner and slagging you off to the rest of your friends and all that. And I, I struggled with that and I ended up separating myself a little bit. Yeah, you did. And then also there was times when you had, you had to learn what camp to be in. Because being a captain, being a leader, sometimes you had to be in a coach's camp, sometimes you had to be in a player's camp. And you have to do what's right for the side. At the end of the day, it's what's right for the side and you'd have to pick and choose and it's not always popular. And I remember once we uh, we had played on a Sunday and we had a short turnaround. We played the following Saturday and we had on Monday, it was to come into training. But the head coach at the time, Conor O'Shea, told me that we're not going to come in, but I'm going to message everyone in the morning at 6.30 in the morning. So they wake up to a message saying the day's off. I just don't want people going out on a night out and drinking and all that kind of stuff. So we got back, back to the club um, and we went out, some of the guys, and I said, look, don't worry, guys, we're all off tomorrow. Trust me all this kind of stuff. Let's just go and enjoy it. Um, seven in the morning, that message never came. And then Connor had got wind of it. <laughs> and then we were doing heels at nine o'clock that morning. So yeah, there was a couple of guys being sick. Wow. Um, but it's, it's that type of stuff where you learn to, you learn how to handle yourself, how to, what to say, what to share, all that kind of stuff and what camp to be in. But it's, I think it's very much a learning curve. Um, you try things, you get things wrong, you try things, you get it right, and then you kind of do that. And I think one of the biggest things I learned was to be authentic because mm. I would try things in someone else's mould and it wasn't me. And guys would almost laugh at me. And then I would try something else and it really resonated with people. So it's it's taking a little one percentage from others but kind of putting it into your own kind of authentic body and personality, I suppose. And do you know what, as well? I've never met, like, a straight man who fosters so much like love and respect from other straight men. Does that make sense? And, and I think it is because mm -hmm. of all the things you said, you know, he takes each individual individually and he tries his absolute best. Like he's going in early to do extras with, you know, the 21 year old who's like desperate to be sort of the next Owen Farrell or whatever and all that kind of stuff. And he, he took that time. He took that time. You know, and that was time away from me when we were separated six months here. It was time away from his friends. That was, you know, time out of his bed when he was exhausted all the time. Um, but, I mean, you do still inspire a real loyalty from that whole group, but not just the, that group, but the group sort of who are now, you know, playing, who are now sort of top, top, top of their game because a lot of them were looking up to you and watching mm. you doing all those things as they were coming up. And mm. so it's very special. Like he downplays himself all the time, but I think it's, it's quite unique, quite mm. a unique man. Look at him. He's embarrassed. He's so cross with me. 
And he's mortified. <laughs> but also that's the thing, isn't it? We were speaking to John Amici, the NBA player, who's sort of a sports psychologist now. He's, he's on this series podcast and he's fascinating about that. He had a couple of things. Camilla, in reference to what you were saying previously, he said, it's so tempting to want to win right now instead of looking at a longer term yeah. victory plan. Um, and I think what, with reference to what you were saying about just firing up over an argument with somebody, actually, what do you want the outcome to be? Like, and you're really good at that. Mum yeah. always says Ben's amazing in a crisis. Like if you've got a crisis, call Ben. <laughs> because it is about that just sort of like taking what the heat is about the situation and taking that out of it and then knowing how you want it to go. What do you want to get out of it? What do you want the outcome to be? So I think that's, I think that's really, really true. That really rings rings bells with me because you've had that as well right you've had some real ups and downs like Chris has in front of the media where you've had to front up as a captain and a leader in a situation which you don't really have to want to have to face a barrage of criticism or questions but you've got to have to do it and then you've got to go back to the base and see the team and rally the troops and tell them the positives and the silver linings. yeah it's hard isn't it yeah it's, it's not always that much fun but I think I was really interested in what Chris was saying about as a leader, the moment you sort of understand actually your job is really to support and bring along the other players as much as what you might be doing as a player. It's actually more about what you can do for the rest of the team. And, and it certainly took me a, quite a long time yeah, to work Yeah, but you came out. from a single-handed sport, right? So yeah. So you came from that into well, that, then that, a team that's sport. That's probably why. Um, but yeah, that, that's the, the key to great leadership is putting your arm around another player or getting the rest of the team to you know, when, when the chips are down to believe in what you're doing and, and to support them. And yeah, I've, it's inspiring listening to Chris talk about it. It's, it's like the basis of that alpha mentality. You know, I feel like that word has been sort of co-opted by a really toxic corner of the internet. But like when you think about like the alpha mm. wolf, for example, his, his job is to make sure that the wolves at the back are keeping up, you know, and if they're not, he'll put them in the middle you know, and I'll have the strongest wolves at the front and at the back. And the ones at the back are there to make sure the ones in the middle, like the old ones and the babies, don't get taken. So all of this old, you know, like wolf pack leadership stuff, if you actually look into it, if you actually read what it's all about, it's actually about exactly what both of you were just saying. And I almost feel like definitely should be taught in schools and all that kind of stuff. Because I would have liked to have known it. Yeah. I agree. It's a I agree. survival it does, thing. Yeah, I think, but that's, <laughs> I think that's yeah. a great point Kellen makes. I mean, it, a lot of us work this out far too late in our lives or career development. It mm. would, uh, but certainly from my own perspective, that would have been uh, great to have been on track with that earlier. Camilla, I've, I've had to be next to Ben and behind the scenes with Ben when it's all gone completely tits up, as you have with Chris. Um, your experience, from your perspective of that 2015 World Cup fallout, because subsequently, Chris, and I, I don't know if this is what you focus on, but when I look and read things now, reflecting back on that time, there's so much praise for you. And I don't know if that just sort of skips on by because you remember the negativity piece more than you do that. I don't know. And you'll have to tell us. But Camilla, from your perspective, I mean, what was that whole period of time like, especially sort of post that press conference, which I know, Chris, was really hard for you to do when you sort of walk back into the the safety of a hotel room to see your loved one there and you just go, oh, for Christ's sake. And then it all comes out. I mean, what is that? What was that moment like for you guys? Because I know we've been there a couple of times. It's really, really hard. 
Um, that whole, for me personally, the whole period was just incredibly lonely. He was so protected in, in Penny Hill Park, you know, and they had sort of media people and, 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 and everyone sort of like looking after them. And I kind of had no one, you know, so you'd have like paparazzi outside your house and you'd have journalists doorstepping you. And, and it had never been like that for us, mm. you know, like, so, I mean, I started singing, what, three or four years before we met. Um, and, you know, when you become a classical singer and a rugby player, you just don't expect that. And it's not what you want. You know, if you wanted that level of attention, you know, you'd try and be a pop star or something. Um, so I found the first half of it, like, really exciting. And I was I was so, so, so proud. Like, I can't even explain to you how proud I was. Um, but I've personally found it really, really lonely. And then the second half of it or the last part of it, mm. because, and you'll, you'll know this really well, no one wants them to win more than they do. <laughs> like no one does. And, and, and I think maybe what the general public don't see is they are killing themselves to get there. They are killing themselves. Like the amount of birthdays and weddings and family outings and for the other players, child's first steps and, and things, births, you know, that they're missing so that they can be the best player they can be. And then, you know, like the bounce of a ball or like a gust of wind or, you know, one of the players is really sick or, and then it's just like, it's just all over. And all those people who were like cheering for you and celebrating you, they just turn and it, it becomes, it became so ugly, it became so ugly, like, and like I was saying earlier, like I am a bit of a hothead um, and like someone, some awful, awful, like obese middle-aged man behind me was like, oh, if I was on the pitch jaunt here, I'd be doing this and I'd be doing that. <laughs> oh, and he was sat behind me at every game. He must have had, a, had his own seat or something. Every game and every game it was someone even more posh that he was with, like, bunt here. Oh, and every game he would say these ridiculous things about these boys who had pushed their bodies to the absolute limit to be the best they could be. And he was like, no, absolutely not. What are you doing? And in the end, at the last game, I can't remember what he said. He said something awful about Farrell, which was completely untrue. He said something awful. He was slagging off all the boys. And then he said, it's Rob Shaw's last game if I was on the pitch. And I just turned around. I was like, Jaunty, I'm going to stop you right there. If you're on the pitch, you'd be dead. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? <laughs> Couldn't keep up with them, could you? No. Zip, zip. And then I think Richard's Wigglesworth's wife was like, okay, okay, we're going now. Bye. Sorry, Jaunty. Um, yeah, so I'm not sure if you're better at keeping yeah. it in than I am, but it's the only time I've ever broken. Ever. But yeah, it, it was. It was it was horrendous. Look, the, yeah. the fallout of it and it's um whether whether there's proud moments. I always say the World Cup is the highest and lowest point in my, my international career. Yeah. I was leading the guys out of the home World Cup and then of course losing the press conferences. And I can't even look at the pictures from that time. Like I, I can't, if, if, if I ever Google him and a picture mm. of his face at that press, I can't, I can't physically, mm. my heart just... And like all that kind of stuff. But Camilla, yeah, Camilla was great as well and she organised literally the following weekend. 
who again I was in a very dark way as I'm sure I'm sure you've been Ben in, in tough times and I was pretty dead behind the eyes and Camilla arranged for me and my best friends to go to a house in the new forest turn our phones off no TVs and we we ate and drunk until we couldn't remember and you know what it might not have been the most sensible thing but it was quite a a nice release even if it was just for a weekend and it definitely helped um and it's it's weird like, i'm sure you guys have been there and when you when you're in these moments where you feel everyone's looking at you, you everyone feel, was looking at you, you feel, but you feel like you're in this fog and it's hard <laughs> to explain to people who haven't been you feel like yeah. you're in a fog and just over time this fog just gradually gradually clears and obviously this can take a long time and for, for that it took it took a significant time to really get through and there were, there were some some moments throughout the year and then we played Wales in the Six Nations first game back at Twickenham I was playing obviously the one of the teams who knocked us out and I was doing a lap of honour and we had just won the game and I just broke down in tears just broke down in tears I had to get in the change room I didn't want people to see me I didn't want the public to see me I didn't want to show that side all that kind of stuff um, and all the players just kind of kept coming up to me and being like we well, didn't realise how much it affected you but that's because it was on me. I, I didn't share enough. And it, it, it took a huge, too strain on our relationship, my friends, ourselves. Um, and yeah, it was it was a really, really tough, tough time for sure. Then he came back and won the glam. It slams. is really tricky. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is really tricky that, isn't it? Because you kind of, this build up of pressure, like there's just this constant build, 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 build. And then at some point it just burst and it either bursts in a really positive way because something amazing happens and everyone's excited and you know everyone's celebrating or it goes the other way and there's this huge period of consolation and sort of hunkering down and getting through it but then you're right it definitely it definitely has this sort of impact on your relationship as well because at some point I don't know if you're like this Camilla but at some at, I sort of I absolutely do my best to sort of be supportive of Ben. And then there will be a moment where I just go bang myself. And I'm like, right, come on. <laughs> we've got to get out of this. We've got to snap out or we've got to move on. And we've got to find a positive somewhere and, and get to that next place. Because otherwise it just is so, it's like this oppressive dark cloud, isn't it? I'm a really positive person and I've never been an introvert. I've always let everything yeah. out. So I have, hey. to, I have yeah. to teach myself. I, I'm learning better I think every time <laughs> but hopefully next time we'll win this bloody cup and I won't have to worry about it again but <laughs> it is it is just this build of pressure you know exactly when it's going to happen in a campaign and when you've sort of got to be really supportive the and also it, then when you've the got to be honest just to try and flatline I know That's you're so good at flatline right? he's so good at consistency <laughs> yeah. you know that bit about I don't just know. like I, did, I said even. that I said that's the trick I didn't say I was good at it no you are good at it for. you're good at even it you're good at the pardon the pun even keel you are though you manage to keep it really really <laughs> level and even and I do think that's a total trick amongst elite all of you super athletes mm. and Camilla I include you in that because I agree with you what you do is is that version of athleticism just being able to sort of man maintain this consistency across everything. It's, it's a very, very special skill. I actually banned him from sulking. So like, <laughs> say he lost on a Saturday, he was allowed to be cross about it Saturday night. And like, he always watches his game backs and goes, every time something goes wrong, I go, and I would just like let him watch and I'd just be reading my book. Like, All right. But then, <laughs> By Sunday morning, he had to be not over it, but he had to Put be not on. ruining my life anymore. 
like because initially I just sort of like let him get away with it and he'd be like sulky until like Wednesday and I'd be like well my life is shit now <laughs> like I mean I don't pout if I miss a note not that I would ever miss a note but um you know I just I don't know I'm I'm, I'm very good at not making my you are, stuff yeah. your stuff yeah. like if I like you know if you audition for a role that you're perfect for that you've been given before and all that kind of thing and I don't I, I think because with with music you sort of get crushed like a weekly, on a weekly basis, brutal things happen. Mm. Like you don't get the job of your dreams or, you know, especially during COVID, everything gets cancelled and all your friends are like losing their houses. Or I, I just think to be a musician is to live in a constant state of sort of sadness mm. and ex so it's actually really interesting what what ben was saying about the even keel because for example when i when the english national opera jobs came through so i'm with him for peter grimes which is in september and october handmaid's tale which is in january and magic flute which is in february and march and when that came in obviously i've been working towards it for a really long time and i've given up a lot of my crossover work to, to train when that came in everyone was like ah yay like so excited for me and I mean, even you mm. and and whenever a big job comes in, like whenever I get the NFL again or, you know, like I get a big juicy corporate, you know, where you're just singing for drunk people and it's just loads of cash for basically nothing. <laughs> you know, whenever that sort of thing comes in, people are always like, yeah, and I'm just like, no, I can't give too much of my emotions away mm -hmm. because I don't want the really yeah. low lows. I don't want the really high highs. But I think also and maybe slightly different from you guys I also have to like hold the energy I have for the characters I play like for example in Peter Grimes mm. I'm oh god it's it's not good it's a they're just imagine the smallest minded vilest people you can imagine and that's that's sort of the character that I'm playing but I sort of have to save a bit of my emotion for them but also now that we have a child mm. I can't save it all you know it's not like you can't go method if you're on stage every night because I'd would I be a handmaid, a fishwife, and an evil queen? So it wouldn't be that. Fun. And a bad yeah, it mother. Be fun. <laughs> yeah. Oh, she's a terrible mother. Terrible mother. <laughs> yeah, that's that's hard work, isn't it? You're right. That's a that's a massive multi juggle. It's a massive multi juggle. Um, mental toughness. That is something that you both must have in spades, I imagine. Are you able to sort of compartmentalise stuff? You have to. Uh, I think, I think, yeah, like you said, you, you have to. And I, people always say to me, if you were to give a, a kid advice now, or your, your younger self, what would you give them or what would you tell to them? I think it's resilience. Yeah. I think any walk of life, any career, any sport, if you want to go far, you, you need to be resilient mm. because there's not many people who go to the top and then just stay there. Most people are on the roller coaster and are up and down and they have good years, bad years, all that kind of stuff. And it's just, it's just learning from it all the time, I think. And I think, unfortunately, it's just going through stuff and getting back up. But also it's having the good people around you. I think you need to do a lot yourself. But you can't do it all yourself. You need people giving you a hand, whether it be your partners at home, to your teammates, to your friends, all that kind of stuff. You need that support, but I think you still need to be the one willing to get yourself back off the ground and basically start again and self-motivate again. I think you need people behind you to sort of 
sort of slightly catch you if you fall and then sort of give you a little push forward but it has to be all you like I was trying to describe my parents to someone the other day because he would love to start a family but he was worried that he didn't have much money and that he you know he was privately educated he's a singer too um but he was worried you know that he couldn't send his kids to private school and all that kind of stuff and I was like listen I grew up without a pot to piss in like there were times where we couldn't afford food but what I did have I mean they, were, they weren't educated they couldn't helped me get to music college. I didn't even know music college existed, which is why I've gone this circuitous route. But what they did do is they were so invested in me, like emotionally, and they were so genuinely interested in the things that I was interested in. Like me going to them and saying that I wanted to sing classical music would be like Wilding coming to us and saying that he wanted to play professional chess. We know nothing about it, nothing. But at the same time, we would do absolutely everything that we could to enable him to achieve his dreams. And also, I think the best thing my parents gave me was a fantastic um, foundation of self-belief and, and, and self-esteem. And, you know, because of their financial situation, I just saw them time and time again sort of try and then fail and then try and then fail. And, you know, when I was growing up, they each had two jobs. Um, and by the time I was sort of in my like preteens, teens, they were both studying as well. I would like to say my mother now has a doctorate <laughs> and my dad now works at IT. So they wow. definitely, I think seeing them achieve, I mean, things that would have been unheard of. I mean, people would have laughed at them when they, you know, my mum said, oh, I want to have a doctorate in psychology. Mm. People would have laughed at her when I was sort of five or six. They were like, no, you're a single mother. You live in a council house. What are you talking about? You know, my my, my dad made pies. And mm. if someone was to say, oh, you know, you're going to end up really high up doing IT, I can't say too much, but, you know, very high up doing IT in, mm. in a, in a, in a, big, uh, business, in a yeah. big, big business. I don't think anyone would have believed them, but I think seeing that and seeing what they could achieve definitely gave me, I just thought, I just, there was never a, a point where I thought, oh, I can't do this. I was just like, of course I'm going to do this. Mm. Like, look what they've done. And they were always just sort of gently behind me. They never pushed me, never, quite the opposite. But if I ever was like, oh, this is really difficult, they'd just sort of gently be there to give me a push. Give you a nudge, yeah. And I would like to think that's how I was with you. Mm. I mean, Chris never needed pushing, but he almost needed the opposite. He needed sort of stopping and sort of turning around and like, cuddling mm. you know not to emasculate your darling but um <laughs> you know i think behind every great man there is a great woman probably. i get yeah but it's interesting because it also affects how you raise wilding as well because everything that you bring to the party from what you've experienced before it you know affects those those decisions and the the things the approach you take chris from your perspective you lost your dad didn't you super early on i think you were just five mm. So has that changed how you see things, how you want to raise Wilding? Is that the, the sort of decisions that you make around being a parent and being a father? Yeah, it has. It, it, it makes me probably more sad and probably think about it a little bit more now. Um, obviously, it's been 30-odd years or since, since it happened. So obviously, a lot, a lot has passed. But yeah, you, you want to be there. And look, I'm in a fortunate position now where I can kind of work a couple of days in a week and spend a bit more at home and be around for more weekends and if I was playing and stuff like that. So we actually have his first rugby tot session on the weekend of the World Cup. So I'm Chris uh, wanted me to take him. He wanted me to take hey, him. I was like, okay. can you imagine the heartbreak? The heartbreak of the dads who've taken their dad, their kids to rugby tots. There's a Rob Shaw there and then it's me. I'm the one that turns up. Absolutely not. That's not happening. I think that I think that would be ace. 
it's not riding. He's under think, pressure look, for a two-year-old, isn't he? <laughs> well, exactly. I started young. But I'm, I'm not worried. If he wants to play rugby, I, 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 I would like him to do some sort of sports because I'm very sporty. I'm not uh, the most academic. I was very dyslexic. So I'm, I want to be kind of outside playing with him and stuff like that. So I, I do hope he goes down that kind of route but I think it's like anything if he wants to do something fully I'll support it like like Camilla said the chess example if he wants to do something fully I'll give him all the support he can and I'll, if I can give him some knowledge but look, I'm probably not going to be out there forcing him to do speed drills and down ups and burpees and if he's late on his homework or something like that because I want him to aspire to be a rugby player um, and you know, I'm sure you're the same you and your kids right. to experience more than you and look, rugby's been amazing for me I've travelled the world and we, we kind of met through rugby and um, given me an amazing life and amazing experiences and all that kind of stuff and you always want more for your kids though don't you you want them to go off and, mm. and be their own people but um, it has to come from them you yeah, know yeah. like you can't yeah, those kids that does. are just helicoptered and mm. you know to within an inch of their life like piano tennis mandarin mm. you know they get to university no one's forcing them to do anything anymore and then they just like loaf around and smoke mm. weed are you going to stay away from rugby or are you going to get dive back into it in any uh, in any meaningful way like as in um coaching or management is that not your bag or or is it something you might look at later not, not really i i didn't really want to go down the coaching route um, I do do a little bit of presenting with, or sorry, um, the commentary stuff with the TV work. Uh, but in terms of coaching, no, I, I didn't have that drive to do it. And I think a lot of people, unless you really love the sport, a lot of people, I think, sometimes go into coaching because they're unsure what to do. And it's, mm. it's almost like a safe net. Of course, there are other people when you can see them a mile away and said, you're going to be an amazing coach. You know so much detail and all that stuff. But for me, I didn't have that burning desire. And I had sacrificed, and not only I had sacrificed, Camilla had had to sacrifice in my family of missing weddings and birthdays, and as I'm sure you guys have as well. And I didn't want to do that for not playing the game. I'd always wanted to play rugby. I hadn't always wanted to coach. So I think when that unfortunately came to that time, I was happy to step away. And look, I'm sure once, and if, if Wilding does start playing rugby, I'm sure a lot of Sunday mornings I'm going to be there and being roped into coaching and uh, which won't be ideal, uh, but I'll yeah I'll do a couple of tricks I'm sure. I sort of hope he doesn't play rugby. I just don't I just don't see how he could ever live up to it. You know. You don't see a Roy Kent moment coming up then. <laughs> you know you what? Get sucked back you know in. That's, that's presuming <laughs> that you've watched Ted Lasso. I, I have seen I have seen Ted Lasso. You know what? I really want to be an extra in a film. You know what? For some reason, I just think it'd be really cool to be in like a battle scene, just somewhere like, I don't know, having a sword fight in the background. I just think that'd be an amazing experience. What, like wearing a helmet so no one knows it's you or actually making sure everyone does yeah, know it's just, you? Yeah, just something like that. Yeah, I, I don't need any lines. I could just be, you know, in the back, sword fight, shooting a gun, something like that. He's just seen that show Extras and he thinks it's all <laughs> yeah. like... All fun. Daniel Radcliffe talking about condoms and, and like... <laughs> but it's... I don't think it is. I think those people work quite hard. It's they hours of they sitting on hours. set doing nothing. Yeah. 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 But like wearing like full plate armour. Yeah. I just want to ask both of you, because it's a performance podcast, I just want to ask both of you for a hack a performance hack that makes it easier to get through every single day. So Camilla, perhaps let's start with you. Like what would you say is the, is the thing that can most help someone get through a day with better performance? I think remembering why you're doing it 
I get asked a lot about stage fright, a lot, a lot about stage fright because, and it's not just, you know, singing to 2,000 people or 17 million people. You know, it's it's almost more scary getting up in rehearsal and having to sing in front of your peers, you know, because they're all really mm. listening and really judging you. Um, but so whenever I get really, 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 really nervous, I just stop and relax and remember what a joy it is to do what I do and what an honour it is and what a privilege, you know? And, and sort of, I, I feel as soon as that happens, like my breathing slows, you know, I can release my diaphragm better. I used to get this thing, if you watch my early TV performances, where I was so nervous, I'd like smile and my cheeks would shake. Um, and, and I found that that was a really good way, just reveling in it and just living for the joy of what you were doing. And, you know, if you're doing something awful, like you've been practicing the same passage for like an hour and a half and you're just like, oh, just stop and listen to the music that's, that's happening. And then you're like joy. So, yeah, finding joy in all the little bits for me. Yes, very good. Um, for myself, and Chris? when it came to weekends and, and games, I was, I was very much about preparation. In, in the week, if I had prepared and gone through stuff, I was confident. Whereas if I'd been injured and maybe not trained or, or done enough or been a bit slack with my stuff, um, I was always very nervous in, in my abilities. But I thought if I had prepared well, I was confident and knew what I was going into. And then, as Camilla said there, it was... I would say when you got to Saturday, especially with international games, you got to play in the best stadiums in the world against the best teams in the world. And for 100 minutes, you got to do what you always dreamt about doing. Yeah. Whereas before that, you were stressed, you were nervy, you were worried about preparation and tactics. After that, you're doing recovery, you're seeing sponsors, you've got TV cameras in your face, and then you're worried about the next week. But just for that 100-minute window, you got to do what you always dreamt about doing, always loved, and what every young aspiring rugby player wanted to do. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's obviously easy sitting here saying enjoy the moment. I definitely didn't enjoy it as much in the moment, as everyone always says when you retire, enjoy it, enjoy it. But there's, there's so much pressure, there's so much tension. Um, hindsight's a wonderful thing. But, yeah, for me, it was all about kind of preparing well in yeah. the week. Do you enjoy it more now in your memory than you did at the time? I think I do. I think I do, in all honesty, because I was, I was actually saying to Camilla, like, I, I don't miss rugby. I miss the occasion. I miss a big occasion and running out of Twickenham. You see on social media where the World Cup's coming up and all the talk about it, and there's so much hype about it, and it's brilliant. And then Camilla was like, before the last one, and everyone, you are so nervy and tense and stressed. He was a dick. <laughs> but he was a dick. Because you're so, you're so pressured. <laughs> and you, a like I said, you're working so hard. Yeah, and you are. You are, because you, you don't want to mess up. You want to be at your best. But now, like you said, in hindsight, you think, oh, I really enjoyed it because you're, you're happy in your memory. Um, and I don't know if you're similar, but yeah, I definitely do feel that way now. No, oh, I, yeah, rose-tinted spectacles over here. No, but I agree with what you said about <laughs> the preparation. I mean, that, if, you haven't, if you haven't prepared properly, that's when you're at your most nervy, oh, isn't it, and vulnerable. I uh, absolutely agree with that. That's fascinating. Thank you, guys. That is really, really interesting. Yep. Pleasure, guys. Have a good night. Right, well, even though you're the pro, I'm going to try and wrap this thing up again. <laughs> I mean, just incredible listening to Chris captaining England on home soil in the World Cup 
that doesn't get any tougher than that. And how and, and, and how he had to learn from some pretty tough yeah, lessons. Yeah, as he went through it yeah. and, and looking back on that. And Camilla, what a character. She's fantastic. Yeah, she's cracking. I absolutely love her. She's my type of girl. And she's she's really interesting because she's able to support him where he needs to be supportive. I find this the challenge with you. And also tell him to pull himself together when he needs to be told to stop sulking, which was interesting. She allows him the day off on a Saturday and then you've got to pull yourself together for the rest of the week. Which yeah, don't, I... don't get any ideas. <laughs> which I think, note to self or partner. Um, Lots of hugging, note. Lots I of hugging. Everyone can hug more. Um, thank you for listening. This has been Performance People. We are Ben and George Yangsi. And remember, from what we've learned today, um, hug it out more and be a team player where the wolf pack's concerned. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.